Right. Well, um, I know Thanksgiving was a little while ago now. We've probably all forgotten it, but a lot of us were gone last week, so it seems like we're all back from Thanksgiving, so I want to take a moment just to debrief on Thanksgiving. Um, uh, here's my question. Did you eat too much? You don't have to raise your hand. Sorry. Just, just think, did you eat too much uh, on Thanksgiving? And it's okay. I mean, it happens, right? Uh, we've all got our weaknesses. Uh, I think I've mentioned enough up here that you know that pie is one of mine. Uh, I like pie, and you know when you when you've got uh, when you've got one pie at a meal, that's great, right? Because it's just there's a pie. But when you've got Thanksgiving and there's multiple pies, what are you supposed to do? I mean, you you have to take some of all of them, right? I mean, one pie is good, two pies is better, three pies is better. You know, so so you overeat, and maybe it's not pie for you. Um, maybe it's just the whole Thanksgiving meal, and you think, well, one plate was good. So two plates would be better, and, and more plates would be best. Or it's a, if it's you know sweet potatoes or mashed potatoes or uh, plum pudding or turkey, you know whatever it is, we see coming out in our Thanksgiving feasts this uh, unwritten rule that we have, where it's, if a little is good, more is better, and a lot is the best. Right? This, this is, this is, it's in all of us. I don't know if it comes from our sin nature, if it's just you know, something that's in us, but we, we think a little is good, so more must be better, and a lot must be the best. Uh, you, you see this uh, in adults, you see this in kids. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of giving a child unfettered access to craft supplies. When you just you set a kid down with a piece of paper and, and, and markers and glitter and pipe cleaners and glue and tissue paper and crayons and stickers. And, and, and the kids, you know, kids do not subscribe to that design philosophy of less is more. You know, they are definitely of the more is more school. So, uh, you know, if a little glitter is good, then a lot of glitter is awesome. <laughs> you know, if, uh, if, if a couple stickers just really makes that paper pop, well, what would a hundred stickers do? Right? This, this is how kids work, but it's, it's still in us, right? Then I'll point the finger at myself again. We've got a, uh, one of those streaming movie services uh, on our TV, and, and so you know how they've got the whole season of shows on there at once, and so you can, you can watch an episode of something. You think, wow, one episode was good. You know what would be better than one episode? Two. two. You know what would be the just binge-watching an entire season on one day? That would be, that would be awesome. See, we have this unwritten rule that we just follow. It's like it's in our programming. If a little is good, more is better, a lot is the best. And boy, does Christmas feed into that, doesn't it? If a little time with family is good, then more time with family is better, and a lot of time with family is the best. Uh, If a little bit of Christmas music is good, more Christmas music is better, 24-7 from December 1st until the 25th, is the best. (laughs) If one present for your child is good, then two presents for your child is better. Ten presents for your child is the best. This is what we, we subscribe to. We live this way. More is better. But is it true? Is it true? You know, sometimes when you use a whole container of glitter on a single piece of paper, you just have a mess. Uh, which brings us to the second point, or the second 
week in our series, as we're going through this Advent Conspiracy series, this, the emphasis for this week is this challenge. Instead of spending more and more and more this Christmas under the assumption that more equals better, what if we spent less? Um, this comes from this, this series that we're a part of this uh, year. It's called The Advent Conspiracy. And uh, The Advent Conspiracy was, was just an idea that was started by a few churches about seven years ago. And uh, the idea is, is, an, is a laudable one. It's good, right? Reclaiming a focus on Christ in Christmas. We've got a lot of emphasis around us on shopping and stuff and all these other accoutrements to Christmas, but, but what about Jesus? And the way that they structure this, I think it's, it's good. It begins with worship. This is what we looked at last week. It begins with worship. The key point in this whole Christmas season is what are we worshiping? You know, let's, let's get down to the heart. In the heart level, what is it that we're putting an ultimate value above all other things? And, and there's at least two gods that are competing for our attention uh, this season and, and all the time. And one of them is money and stuff, and the other one is the true God of the Bible. And both of these gods are promising things. They're promising salvation. They're promising deliverance from our emotional needs. They're promising identity and purpose and, and, and significance. Uh, but only the true God of the Bible delivers and so we want to be worshiping him, getting our heart right and focused on him first this Christmas. Okay, but the second step, though, is to get a little more practical. That was last week. This week is a little more practical. What does it really mean? How do we worship God rubber meets the road this Christmas? And one thing it means, I think, very practically, is that we would spend less on possessions this year. How do we worship God instead of possessions? Well, let's spend less on possessions. Uh, there's lots of great passages that we could go to for this this week. I, I looked at a lot of them, but the one I settled on was Isaiah 55. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to look at the first three verses in Isaiah 55. Isaiah is, it's basically in the middle of your Bible. If you find there, you can, it's a big book. And chapter 55, the first three verses, and and I love this chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters of all time in Scripture. We're just going to get three verses today. And I think it's going to be helpful for us this morning because it hits a couple notes that we really need. It's got a challenging question for us, but then also a very comforting promise. So if you're there and you can follow along, I'm going to read Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. And this is God speaking. Okay, This is God speaking. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. This is one of my favorite chapters. It's hard to stop there. I encourage you to keep reading. But we're going to look at these first three verses this morning and, and see what God has for us. And it's a challenging question. 
and a comforting promise. So first, the challenging question. It's right there in verse 2. I've sandwiched it together a little bit, but here's how I want to word it. Why do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy? Why do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy? Now, if you look, I'm I'm getting that from the passage in verse 2. You see there's these two lines. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? And if you're familiar with uh, the way poetry uh, works in the Hebrew Bible, it's, uh, you've got this thing called parallelism. You often see these two lines stated in parallel, and so this would be synonymous parallelism. They're synonyms, so the first line and the second line are just restating the same thing in different ways. So he says, why do you spend your money is parallel with your, and your labor, the next line, and then the for that which is not bread parallels that which does not satisfy. So it's totally justifiable to squeeze them together and just to put it out this way. Why do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy? You look down in verse 3, you get a little more picture there of what he's talking about. And he says, uh, incline your ear, come to me here that your soul may live. So we've got these word pictures, right, of of wine and milk and bread, people being thirsty and hungry. Well, in verse 3, he says, here's the whole point. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about life for your soul. Right? Then verse 3, come to me here that your soul may live. This is the thirst or the hunger that's being satisfied by the wine and milk. It's, it's a soul hunger. It's this longing for satisfaction, for significance. And the question that's being asked here, this challenging question is, why? Why would we spend our resources, our energy, our money? Why would we pour out our lives trying to get something that does not satisfy that deep longing of our hearts. Why would we do that? And I think it's just such a perfectly phrased question for Christmas time. Why do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy? Verse 3. Verse 3 just sounds like any advertisement that you hear this time of year, right? Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Isn't that the subtext of all the ads that you see? Even sometimes explicitly the text of the ads that you see? Here, incline your ear. Listen to me. Listen to me. I got something great for you. Here, here, buy, buy. Come to me. Purchase me. And your soul will live. This is the message that comes across loud and clear in our Christmas. If a little is good, more is better. And a lot will satisfy your soul. Uh, Now we know this, right? I mean, we know this on an intellectual level. We're smart, we're savvy, we're cynical. We we know that what advertisers are saying, we know what they're saying, we know what they're promising. We, we, We get this on an intellectual level. This is nothing new. But the question remains, why do you spend your money on that which does not satisfy? I mean, we know it, we know that it doesn't satisfy on an intellectual level, but, but we keep doing it. So the only answer I could come up with as to why we spend our money on things that do not satisfy is that even though we know it intellectually, we don't really believe it yet. It hasn't made it all the way down into our hearts. We still believe on some level that a little is good, more is better, and a lot will satisfy my soul. I mean, we could pass the test. Right? I give you the test and say, what satisfies your soul? And you say, Jesus. But when we go out there and we live our lives, we act as if the things that we buy, 
will really save us. I'm, I'm painting with kind of a broad brush here. Not all of us do this, right? Uh, some, some of you, probably th- through life experience, um, age, you know, it's a benefit. Uh, you, you've lived long enough and you've, you've seen life long enough that you know, experientially, it's hit for you. It, you know that it, it doesn't satisfy and you, in some ways, have been liberated from that uh, bondage to, uh, to stuff. Okay, whether you know, you've had a traumatic experience or, or you've just seen over time that it doesn't work. And so you know, you believe it now finally. It's traveled from your head to your heart. But not all of us are there yet. Okay, some of us are still dabbling. We know intellectually that spending money will not bring satisfaction, that, that the allure and the glitter and all that, it's not going to satisfy our souls. But behaviorally, we still participate. And the picture that I get here is of, of kind of that, that sucker who's walking around the carnival midway. And there's all those games that are there. And you know, intellectually, I mean, you know, right? You can't win those games. Uh, they're rigged. You're not going to win. Intellectually, you know that. And yet there's that appeal. Like, oh, but it's not that. I can do it. I, I know I didn't do it last time, but I can totally do this. And the one I think about is the, uh, the basketball one. It's something like you put five bucks down, you get three balls, and you just have to hit, or get five balls, you just have three shots. Okay, 60%, that's not that hard. I play basketball, right? And I know intellectually, uh, the rim is not regulation height. It's probably smaller than a normal rim, and the balls are overinflated. There's no way that you're good, it's rigged. You know this, right? But still you think, oh, I can totally do this. So you plunk down the five bucks, you get the balls, and you hit one out of five. Oh, but the other ones were so close, right? I was just getting warmed up. I know I can do this. You put another five bucks down. You shoot again. It's one out of five. Oh, but, but those two, you saw those two. They were almost there. I know I can get this. Five bucks. And, uh, and this time you hit two out of five. And the last one, oh, it was in, out. You're just so close. And you never win. But you're close enough that you think you will. And so you keep going. And I think we do this with possessions. We know intellectually, we know it will not satisfy us. There's no way. Because if it did, the, the presents we bought last year would still be happy, we'd still be happy from that. We know intellectually that it will not satisfy us. But we've been so close. Right? We've been so close. You know, we were briefly satisfied until the new one came out. Uh, until it broke. Or until the bill came. We know, we know that possessions, that money, these things will never satisfy, but the question, it's challenging. Why? Why do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy? And the real challenge of the question is now putting it into practice, moving it from intellectual belief to life behavior. You know, what, what can we do? I got two ideas for us. You're probably not going to like them, but that's okay. Uh, the first idea is this. What can we do to move this from our head to our hearts? One idea is buy one less present this year. Now, I'm not saying, uh, sorry, Uncle Frank, uh, pastor said I couldn't buy a present this year, and you're the one I love the least, so, well, that's, that's it. No, I mean, we'll, next week, we'll talk more about how we can give in, in good ways, even without uh, spending uh, as much money. But what I'm really thinking about here is just this, you know, parents, grandparents, um, 
even spouses who just love to lavish gifts on others. Like that's, that's part of the thing. We, just, we think, well, I, I would give you one gift, but I love you more than one gift, so I'm going to give you two gifts, or I'm going to give you ten gifts. And, and, and each year, for Christmas to be better than the Christmas before means we have to have more presents than before. If we have less presents than before, then it's a worse Christmas. See what I'm saying? So, so there's a mindset. If a little's good, more is better, and a lot is the best. So we just spend more and more and more because we have to have a better Christmas this year than last year, which means we have to have more presents. And so I'm just saying, let's just plant a little flag of rebellion there and say we're going to buy one less present this year. We're intentionally going to spend less as a statement that spending less does not automatically mean worse Christmas. So that's, that's one idea. You just give one less present just to pry our fingers off that a little bit, to say it's not about more. If that was too easy for you, here's a more radical idea. I mean, it is, for some people, it is easy to say, well, I'm not going to buy you more presents. What if, what if you just refuse to give a Christmas list this year? And maybe it's too late for this year. I don't know, you people shop so early. But what if you refuse to give a Christmas list? Like, people say, what do you want for Christmas? And you say, I don't want anything. Really, like, not that whole coy, like, oh, you don't have to get me anything, but you should really get me this thing. Or, you know, like, making sure they see the magazine with the things circled on it, on the table. You don't have to get me anything. I really like that. Uh, no, like, the really, don't get me anything this year. I mean, if you want to write me a card, or if you, if you just, hey, if we could just spend some time together this Christmas, or go out for, for a coffee or something, that, that'd be wonderful. But don't, you don't have to spend any money on me this year. Like, really don't. It'd be a way for us to say, I can be happy, I can be satisfied without more stuff. I don't need more. I don't need more. So we, there's some ideas. Give one less gift this Christmas. D- don't ask for anything this Christmas. Yeah, there's some ideas. Ways that we can move it from our heart, from our head to our hearts. It's a challenging question. It's a challenging question that, that challenges us to consider One of our underlying beliefs is more better. But it's also also got a comforting promise. And the comforting promise that we have here in this passage is that deep satisfaction is the free gift of God. Deep satisfaction is the free gift of God. So look with me at verse 1 again. This is God speaking. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So what, what does it cost here? We've all been paying attention to advertisements. You've you got your eagle eyes on for deals, right? What, what is this deal? What is the price? It's without money. It's without price. This is absolutely free. Okay, you're not going to find a better deal anywhere. It's free. And what's being offered? Well, we see here, he's come by wine and milk without money and without price. Again, these are these metaphorical images for what he's offering in verse 3. He's saying, come to me, hear that your soul may live. And then even further in verse 3, he says, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So God is offering absolutely free Satisfaction for our souls and a deep, committed love relationship with God. 
Yeah, it's, it's, you might not have gotten that last part totally from what was there, because he says David here. What's, what's the stuff about David? Verse 3, he said, my steadfast, sure love for David. Who's that guy? Uh, you, you might know David was a very great king, a very great king in the history of Israel. And one of the great things about him was that, that he really loved God. He, he had a close relationship with God, and God really loved him. This was, this was tight, God and David. And, and when God wanted to affirm his love for David, he, he did this thing where he made a promise to David. And it's called a covenant. And in this covenant with David, God promised him as a sign of his love for David that David would always have a son, uh, a descendant, who reigned as king, right? David was a king, and so kings are concerned about their dynasty. You know, are my kids going to rule after me? And God promises David, you're always going to have a descendant who reigns on the throne as king. Now, this is where we enter into the Christmas story, right? Because you know in in Luke 2, uh, Joseph and Mary, they have to go to Bethlehem, the city of David, Why is that? Because Joseph is a descendant of David. So here we get Jesus being born into the line of David. He's the legal descendant, the heir of this king. And and Jesus now is, in fact, the fulfillment of this promise that he's the king who reigns forever on the throne of David. So verse 3 is saying God has this love, this steadfast, sure, covenantal love for David. And that love that he has for David is the love that he has for his son, Jesus, the great descendant of David. And this love that God has for David, this love that the Father has for Jesus, is what is being offered to you and to me absolutely free. You see, I will give you the everlasting covenant, the steadfast, sure love for David. God says, what you need, what I need, what we all need, what we're thirsty for, what we're hungry for, is, is to be loved by God and to be in a right relationship with him. That's, we're searching for it with, with, with toys and, and with family time and with careers and, and, and all this other stuff. We're, we're trying to fill that void. Uh, but what we're made for is a relationship with God. And God says, I know that. I know that's what you're made for. I made you for that. I know that you need a relationship with me. And I see you chasing after all this other stuff, and it will not satisfy. I know it won't. Why? Why do you do that? Come to me. Come to me that your soul may live. Everyone who hears, come. This is, this is great news. That's why we call it the gospel. It means good news. This is great news. Uh, and even especially here at Christmas time, Right? Because I know that not everybody here in this room is struggling with the issue of, should I spend less this Christmas? There's plenty of people who would love to be able to spend more, but can't. Spending more is not an option. Spending less is a necessity, and not just in our congregation, but for so many people because of unemployment or health problems or uh, underemployment or just the catastrophes that happen in life. We'd love to spend more, but we can't. And so we think that, oh, we just have to resign ourselves to a worse Christmas this year. See that, that idea sneaking back in. More is better, less is worse. But the, the good news of the gospel is that the, the goodness of Christmas, in fact, the goodness of life, is not dependent at, on how much or how little we spend. 
Everyone. You know, if, if you are sitting there today and you're thinking, yes, I have to spend less this Christmas. This is a, this is a less Christmas for us. We, we don't, just don't have the money. And, and, and you're thinking, I can't enjoy Christmas as much as I did before. The good news for you is you can. In fact, it may be that you can enjoy it more than those who have more. Because there's a condition here. There's a condition for getting the free gift. It's free. But there's something that we have to do. Did you notice in, in verse 1, Jesus still says, come buy. He says, come and buy. You still have to buy it. He says, it's free, but you still have to buy it. So what do you buy it with? You buy it with your nothingness. He says, you who have no money, come and buy. Come buy without price. You, you, still, have to, you still have to take it. You still have to come and buy it, but you buy it with nothing. If you're coming with something, you can't buy it. You've got to come with nothing. This, this is a beautiful picture of faith. It's, it's the picture of someone with empty hands. You've got empty hands. This is what it requires to receive the free gift of God. You've got to have empty hands. Okay? If you come to God with full hands, you can't receive the gift. If you come to God trying to, um, trying to find satisfaction in your stuff... Okay, let's say you, you got money, you're turning to money, you're trying to find satisfaction in your possessions, your stuff, and you've got your hands full of your stuff. You, 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 there's no room for God there. Because uh, you're, you're still turning to your stuff, you're still trusting your stuff. If, you're, if your hands are full of your career, and you're looking to your career for significance and for salvation, and say your hands are full of your career, and there's no room for the gift of God there, because it's just all full of you. Okay, now, and here this one, this is tricky. Your hands can be full of spending less for Christmas and giving more to the poor. Right? Your hands can be full of your good works. Look at me. Look how much I'm doing. Look, I am, I'm giving less. I'm the person who's doing Christmas right this year. I'm not like those people who are spending so much, those, those American consumer slobs. I'm so much better than them. I'm justifying myself because of my good works and the way that I simplistically celebrate Christmas and the good that I give to other people. And your hands can be so full of yourself and your good works that you can't come to God for significance. You see, you're trying to get it from yourself. We can put anything in our hands and we can hold on to those and say, this is where my righteousness comes from. This is where my salvation comes from. But God says, the one thing you have to have when you come to me is nothing. If we come with anything else in our hands, he says, your money is no good here. That cannot buy the wine and the milk. You can't buy it with your goodness. You can't buy it with your success. You can only buy it with your nothingness. Jesus says, I will give my milk, I'll give my wine, I'll give my bread, I'll give my steadfast, sure love to the people who come with empty hands and say, Lord, will you, will you satisfy my soul? There's tremendous irony here. You see the irony? The culture, the culture says, you're, you're, you're almost full. You're so close. You just need a little bit more, or maybe a lot more, and then you'll be satisfied. And, and we try, and we try to get more and more and more, and no matter how much we get, we're always empty. But God says to us, you're empty. Face it. You're empty. And if you'll just admit that, then I will give to you all the satisfaction, all the significance, all the love that you've been looking for. 
So this Christmas, I encourage you, take, take a stand. Uh, let's put into practice what we believe intellectually, right? That more does not equal better. I, I believe that, by and large, as we're sitting here today, we all agree with the principles that I've stated today. We absolutely, none of us are struggling here, I don't think. Wondering, like, I know you say Jesus will satisfy, but I really think that that new car is going to do it for me. I don't think that we would ever say that. But the struggle, the real struggle, is putting it into practice. And so, what are we going to do? Well, I encourage you, this Christmas, let's really spend less, quantifiably, numerically, real dollars less, as a way to say that we don't believe that more equals better. And at the same time, let's invest our time and our energy and our hearts in drinking deeply of the steadfast, sure love of God. That's my encouragement for us this week. Let's, let's pray and ask God to make that real. Uh, Father, you, you satisfy. You alone satisfy. And uh, a million years from now, we will know without a doubt how true that is as we look back on all the, the vain things that uh, provided fleeting pleasure. And then we look at your face and we see the joy and we experience the love and we know that you alone are the one that our hearts were made for. God, would you give us that perspective now and enable us to, to let go of some of the... Um, of the things that we've inherited from our culture, to let go of those lies that more is always better, and to believe and to put into practice that belief that you alone satisfy. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus.